Let us take our Bibles and as our scripture reading this morning, we'll turn to the book of Psalms, Psalm 111. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work. And his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. And we'll be focusing especially on verse 4, the first part. He caused his wondrous works to be remembered. With that as the focus, we'll be looking at different aspects of this psalm. After the proclamation of God's word as a responsive song, we'll sing from Psalm 111 the remaining three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, how good is your memory? One of the amazing gifts that God has created human beings with is the ability to remember things. And some people have an extraordinary ability to remember things. Take a world record holder, in just 15 minutes, he was able to remember and reproduce more than 1,100 completely random digits. They gave him an hour. And he remembered and reproduced more than 3,200 completely random digits. How about trying to memorize a deck of cards? Someone managed to do that and reproduce it exactly in just 14 seconds. Or how about trying to remember as many decks of cards shuffled, randomized, and reproduce them accurately? Well, someone managed to do 59 of them. 
Now, there are techniques you can use to help you remember things, and these may seem impressive and beyond what most of us, all of us, are able to do. But the fact is, remembering is an important activity for all of us as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we teach our children psalms. They have to memorize them. And anyone who's gone through catechism classes has memorized the doctrines of Scripture, faithful summaries of the Word of God, as well as Bible texts, perhaps. And this remembering isn't just for the people with good memories. It's an important concept in the Bible. In fact, the Lord commands you to be remembering things. Consider the fourth commandment as we heard it today. Remember the Sabbath day. That's about remembering. Consider what Moses said to Israel about the Exodus and the Passover. He said, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Consider what our Savior said about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. He said, do this in remembrance of me. You see, being a Christian involves a lot of remembering. And most importantly... What this remembering revolves around is the work of God and His work, particularly in the person and the salvation work of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior has done a wondrous work and is still doing a wondrous work in the building of His church. And he makes that wondrous work be remembered and calls us to remember it. And so I proclaim to you God's word using this theme. The Lord makes wise believers remember his wonderful works and praise him. And we'll firstly consider why you should remember. Secondly, what you should remember. And thirdly, how you should remember. So firstly, we hear why you should remember. Our text this morning is taken from the book of Psalms. It's a song of praise, but it also has a particular genre. It is poetry. Now, not everyone gets excited about poetry, but there are exciting things about poetry. And when we read poetry, also the poetry God gives us, it's important to consider the literary structure and the form. It's inspired. It's significant. And when you look at this psalm, there's a number of noteworthy aspects to observe. The first one being that if we look at the psalm as a whole, we notice that it's got to what we could call bookends. At the beginning and at the end, there's mention of 
praise, right? Verse 1, praise the Lord. In Hebrew, that's hallelujah. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And then the very final verse, verse 10, his praise endures forever. Now inside those two bookends, there are two main volumes that the psalmist is praising God for. Verse 2 through halfway verse 7, he's praising God for his works. And then the rest of verse 7 through to the end, he's praising God for his law. And our focus this morning will be on that first volume. But you see, there's something about the literary structure of this psalm that you can't tell from your English translation. And that's this. This is an acrostic poem. Let me explain that. It's an acrostic poem. Original language is Hebrew. Hebrew has 22 letters. And in the original Hebrew... Every line, every few words, begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So, to speak of it in terms of our own alphabet, we would say this is a psalm that starts with A, goes through the A, B, Cs, all the way through Z. And there are more psalms that do that. Uh, the next psalm, Psalm 112, does that as well. Uh, we sang a verse from that psalm. Psalm 119 is another psalm that does that, and in most Bible translations, including the ESV, it even, it even lists the, the Hebrew letters above every eight verses, which uh, each section begins with. Acrostic. And so we need to ask, why has the Lord God given us this psalm as an acrostic? Well, there's a number of things we can say about it. Firstly, it tells us something about the author of the psalm. Yes, the Lord used people, but the ultimate author is God himself. He is divine, and he is a God of beauty, a God of order, a God of creativity. And there's something incredibly wonderful, something incredibly clever about it. And that points to the content. There's something wonderful about him, the author. Secondly, it tells us something about the readers of the psalm, because an acrostic helps you remember things. This is why we use acronyms like, say, TULIP, to help us remember the, the five main parts of the canons of Dort. In a similar way, these 22 alphabetically arranged phrases can help God's people remember and use the psalm, just like we are helped to be able to remember psalms when, when they're rhymed, when we sing them. Thirdly, it tells us something about the content of the psalm. This is a psalm that's, that has to do with the ABCs. It's about 
the fundamentals of the faith. Because when do you learn your alphabet? This isn't something that you start doing when you're in high school or when you're in university. There are little children here who've been learning the alphabet. This is something you you learn at the very beginning of your education and then you build on it as you get older. And we could say that in a similar sense, this acrostic, this alphabet psalm is setting out some of the basic building blocks of our faith education. And that's evident from the final verse where it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is about knowing the right way to live. And you need to start at the very beginning. You need to start with your ABCs. And what is the beginning of wisdom as a Christian? Living life as a believer begins with fearing the Lord. That's his covenant name. The Lord our God, to whom we belong as signified and sealed in baptism. That needs to be the basic building blocks for Theodore as He gets older, it needs to be the basic building blocks for all of us. Living life as a Christian, it's not, first of all, about keeping a set of rules. And if you do a good enough job of keeping them, you're in. Living life as a Christian isn't, first of all, about knowing how to recite certain facts and doctrines. Being a believer is, first of all, about our relationship with the Lord. It's personal. It's intimate. It's about knowing who He is. It's about loving Him. It's about trusting Him. It's about serving Him. It's about knowing who He is. It's about knowing His wondrous deeds and letting that shape your thinking and your behavior. Ready for Israel in the Old Testament. This is where the ABCs of their faith started. Being wise. That meant, for the Israelite then, for us today, it meant seeing the Lord. Seeing all his wondrous things that he'd done as recorded through the pages of his divine revelation. Seeing his hand in your life. Knowing what he has done and then than living out of that by his rules, by his promises. So how are you going with your ABCs? Are you a wise person? And this is not, first of all, a question about your intellect. It's not a question about your intelligence. That's a question about It's a question about your faith. And this, see, this is why this remembering is so important. In making his wonderful works to be remembered, the Lord is guiding his people in the basics of what life 
is about. He's teaching their ABCs. He's helping them get the essentials of life in order. Because what's the opposite? The opposite of being wise is to be a fool. The opposite of remembering is forgetting. And that is the great sin of humanity. We could say that the great sin of the fallen of humanity ever since is the sin of forgetfulness. When you live your life and you forget God, you forget to read the Bible, you forget to pray, you forget to worship Him. Basically, when you act as if He doesn't exist, He simply not part of your thinking. Now, there's a word that we sometimes use to describe that forgetfulness. It's the word secularism. Secularism, a fancy word, may be, but by that we, we simply mean the, the philosophy of our day where God's excluded. And who He is and what He says is just not part of people's thinking. He is entirely absent. And you will see secularism everywhere. You may be watching or looking at a, a film, a G-rated film, because there's no objectionable violence or sexual morality, but it may be very secular because it presents a view of life where God doesn't exist. So how about you? Do you forget the Lord? See, sadly, we have to acknowledge this is a problem of our human nature. We are born with a nature that is very good at forgetting God. See, and this is why we need reminders. To remember that God is in control and that he is running the universe and everything is in His hands and not by chance or randomness. To remember that all good things come from Him alone and He is the source of all that happens. To remember that whether it's prosperity that comes away or adversity, it's from Him. And especially to remember the grace that he announces in his word and in the sacraments. To remember his mighty works of deliverance in Christ. We, we would never get to that point ourselves. We, we wouldn't remember what's really important. And... That has been the sin of the human race since the beginning, since Adam and Eve decided to forsake what God said and instead embrace the word of the, the tempter. Revelation, sorry, the book of Romans chapter 1 describes what happens as a result of this fall and its impact on human behavior and thinking ever since. 
The result is that instead of having people who are wise, we get people who are fools. They profess to be wise. Romans 1 says, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In short, they forgot God. They focused on the creature instead. And brothers and sisters, we're inclined to do exactly the same. And so thanks be to God that he doesn't just let us do that. That he knows our weakness, our insensitivity. And so he works. So that in his church, his people learn their ABCs to get them right. Notice the language carefully of the psalm here. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. This is something he does, firstly by doing the works and then making them get remembered. He does that by proclaiming them in the word, by proclaiming them in the sacrament like baptism, and then he causes them to be remembered by impressing them on our hearts by his Holy Spirit. And he, he causes us to, to see them, to know them, and to be so amazed by them that that is now going to shape our existence and shape our lives. And that brings us to our second point, what you should remember. Because what is it then that God wants us to be remembering? Well, the psalm makes frequent mention of God's works. You'll find that word multiple times throughout the psalm in one form or another. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord. Verse 3, full of splendor and majesty is his work. Verse 4, he's caused his wondrous works to be remembered. Verse 6, he's shown the people, his people the power of his works. Verse 7, the works of his hands. Oh, there's one thing very clear here. God is doing a lot of things. He's very active. And the things he's doing are very impressive. So what are they? Well, we could say that they particularly include his works of creation and his works of redemption. We'll look at both of those because the psalm does as well. Because first of all, that word works, used in verse 2, is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe God's works of creation. Now, I learned that the words of verse 2 are inscribed in Latin above a above the Cavendish Laboratory. This is the, apparently the, the world's top physics laboratory, and it's located in Cambridge, England. And they've made all kinds of fancy discoveries there, like the electron and the neutron, and, and their work led to further discoveries like quantum physics and the, the double helix structure of the DNA. Now, in 1874, when this laboratory was opened, at the suggestion of the first professor, 
James Clark Maxwell, he was a Christian, and as an expression of his faith, they had the words of verse 2 inscribed above the entrance. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Now, amazingly, and almost 100 years later, in 1973, they built a new lab there, and they still inscribe those words there, this time in English. Because when you're entering a science building or when students are entering a science classroom, the things you are studying and discovering are treasures that God has made. You're considering the works that he has performed. And time and again, the Bible gives us a correct perspective on these works and wants us to stand in amazement at them. Psalm 19 is full of praise to the Lord for his mighty works. Verse 19, we find these words, which have been put to music in a famous chorale piece. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Verse 7 of our text mentions the works of his hands, and and that brings to mind the language of Lord's Day 10. It's the Lord's Day about God's providence, and you could call the doctrine of God's providence the doctrine of his hand. The Catechism says that. God's providence is his almighty and ever-present power, whereby as with his hand he upholds heaven and earth and all creatures and governs them so that leaf and blade, rain and drought, and so on, all things come to us not by chance but by his almighty hand. All creatures are so completely in his hand that they cannot so much as move. Do you take pleasure in the works of God in creation? Do you study them? Romans 1 says no one's, no one's without an excuse because ever since the creation of the world, God has been displaying his eternal power and his deity, his Godhead, by the things that he has made. And you don't even have to go to Cambridge Laboratory to study them. You just need to live in a country like we do here in Australia where we're constantly confronted in multiple ways with the majesty and the grandeur of God. From the rugged things you may see in the bush, tall trees, to tiny, delicate wildflowers with a, a vast array of colors and types, or perhaps visiting the coastline and seeing the turquoise ocean alongside a sparkling white beach maybe the crashing of giant waves against the rocks. Or maybe you might climb some of the hills and mountains and admire the stunning views or explore some of the, the gorges in various parts of the state. Or you might enjoy diving under the sea and with 
snorkeling goggles, admiring the stunning creatures that the Lord has made. This is his artwork. He is the artist. And this is the world you're living in. And as you do so, do, do you see his signature? If the world was an Instagram account, then these are all images that point to him because he's the owner of the account. He is the owner of the account. He's the maker of it all. And as we see it and admire it, we, we, we need to give our, our thumbs up, our like. God's work of creation. But secondly, these are God's works of redemption. And the language in the rest of the psalm, verses 4 through 6, about God's mighty works, especially brings to mind his incredible deeds in rescuing Israel from Egypt. Now you think about what that involved and what that took to happen. It is amazing. And then bringing a whole nation through a desert to a promised land and giving them that land, defeating all the enemies. Again, amazing. And in this, God is showing his mighty deeds. He's showing something of his character. Verse 4, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He's a God who gives these gifts to a people who themselves are sinful. As he shows at Mount Sinai when they're worshiping the golden calf. And when time and again they forget him. Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. In the wilderness is the miracle of manna and quail from heaven in the desert. And then in the land of Canaan, there's this incredible land of an abundance flowing, as the Bible says, with milk and honey. Verse 6 giving them the inheritance of the nations. They can just walk in, and although they have to fight the enemy, they don't start from scratch. No, they, they can live in houses that are already built by others. And they become owners of crops and lands and fields that have already been prepared by others ahead of them. These are miracles of stunning greatness and grace to sinful people. And in all these things, Psalm 111 wants us to know God is showing his faithfulness to his covenant. He has said he will do these things. Now, there's a, a wonderful play on words in verse 4 and 5. Verse 4, he caused his wondrous works to be remembered. And then look at verse 5. He remembers his covenant. See, God also does remembering. God is mindful and does not forget the covenant promises that he gave to Israel then, to us today, to Theodore, to the church of Christ. We sang about that from Psalm 105 as well, following the baptism. God will remember what he has promised in grace. And now it's for us to remember God's remembering. See, there's an order here. God remembers his covenant. Our 
remembering of him follows his remembering. Now, if you say, well, I don't have a good memory. Well, the Israelites weren't good at remembering either. And this is why God, in his goodness already then, instituted many religious festivals to help them know his works and remember his works. Every week again was the Sabbath. And this was a weekly day of rest, and it commemorated God's mighty work in creating the universe in six days. And it also commemorated Deuteronomy 5, God's mighty work in giving them rest, freedom from slavery in Egypt. Not only was there that Sabbath, there was also the annual Passover. Exodus 12 indicates to God's people that this is a day given as a memorial. It's something for remembering. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord for your generations. And that doesn't disappear in the New Testament. No, it continues remembering God's wondrous deeds of redemption for us in our context is especially about remembering what the Exodus points to and is really about. Jesus is the Passover lamb. In him, God delivers us from spiritual bondage to sin by his blood. And in him, the most incredible thing happens. Sinners are rescued from hell. Sinners are received by God in his covenant and placed on the road to heaven. Completely undeserved. All grace. As the Catechism says in Lord's Day 21 about the forgiveness of sins, I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember my sins. See, here's a paradox. God remembers his covenant, but one of the covenant promises is God says he will not remember our sins. Not in the sense that he doesn't know they exist, but he promises he will not bring them to mind because they're covered by the work of the Savior. So, brothers and sisters then, how do you grow in your knowledge of these things God wants you to remember? Well, you learn about God's work of creation by opening your eyes when you are exploring his world and doing it with a, with a mind of faith. And you learn about God's work of redemption by coming to church because that's the heart of the worship service. The Lord himself, through his word and by the power of his spirit, is impressing on you, is proclaiming to you what he has done and is doing and will do in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the focus of worship. Oh, there's, there's more, of course. We need to know all the, the aspects that this includes and all the ways it needs to impact our thinking in life, but, but that is the heart of it. And that needs to dominate also our thinking We also need to forget things. 
What is most important in your thinking? What is it that dominates what you're busy with and what's in your heart and in your mind? Are there things that you are constantly remembering that God wants you to forget? Are we occupied, first of all, with hope and and with faith and with joy, with the knowledge of who Christ is and what God is doing for us? This is something to be, to be amazed at. And even in dark circumstances, we'll pierce through as, as a light of an encouragement that Christ is at work. Even in a world today where there's much reason for a sadness, suffering in the Middle East, perhaps dark things happening in your own life, even right now, you may remember what your God is doing. And that brings us to our final point. Then how should you remember? Because we're now at a point we can, we can put our ABCs together and we can start seeing what happens if we, we get our basic building blocks in order. Uh, as we get the beginning of wisdom mentioned in verse 10 and we remember God's wondrous works. What is that going to look like in the life of a Christian? Well, Vasu says that God's great works are studied. Do you do that? Do you have an open mind? That you're open to be impressed by God's work. And that includes creation. As you move about in the Lord's world, do you have an eye for his hand? Do you recognize it? Do you acknowledge it? Do you gladly confess it? And do you give him praise? And particularly includes his work of redemption. How do you read the Bible? Is this just a book of interesting facts, of trivia? Or do you read it with faith? This is not just an collection of interesting names and facts. This is not just some academic book. This is a book authored by that God. And it tells you about him. It tells you about his love for you in Christ. It tells you about the God whom we, as his bride, whom we love and adore. This is the book of your bridegroom. And you're his bride. And so let us never get tired of hearing the wonderful story about how our Savior laid down his life for us and how God is incredibly gracious and patient and merciful. Let us gaze at him. Let us consider what he has done. Let us see how wonderful he is. And let us then also pay diligent attention to how he wants us to think and behave. And it's important we do that not just individually, but as a congregation. There's a very interesting thing that is not in Psalm 111. It's not there. Do you know what it is? It's in most of the other Psalms, a lot of the other Psalms anyway. Many of the Psalms have a very personal element. Maybe a cry for help, maybe a story and cry for rescue. And 
And often at the end, as the psalmist travels further in his journey of faith, there's a prayer for Israel, for, for the church. But this psalm, even though it is personal, I, right from the outset, has a communal focus. Verse 1 already, I'll give thanks, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. So the public assembly of God's people is not some afterthought, doesn't come at the end. No, it's all along, it's a central focus because it's with the public assembly of God's people that this remembering is produced. This is where the festivals are celebrated, weekly, the Lord's Day, where God's work is announced and it's commemorated. This is where public preaching commissioned by Christ through the office bearers of Christ, announces the grace of Christ. And when you remember this, when you get this, then you will want to worship him, as verse 1 says, with my whole heart, together with other believers. You want to come because this is where you hear the word, where you see sacraments like baptism this morning reminding you of what God has done in Christ. And this is where you come in, in song and in prayer. You're involved. You give expression to this remembering and this praise and this joy to the Lord. Our attendance in worship is a key part of where we show that we take God's work and the remembering of God's work very seriously. We do it by coming. We do it by singing. We do it by participating in the Lord's Supper where we take, we eat, we drink, we remember and we believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for all our sins. We show, we take it seriously that when we hear the sermons, we, we're looking for this message about God's work and, and we're listening carefully to what, what our God has to say. And we give this expression, we give it expression with our financial gifts to support his kingdom, to support the, the proclamation of these mighty works to the ends of the earth through the work of mission, as we did this morning. We give it expression by singing psalms and hymns. Together, in this way, we, we are saying, as a joyful people of God, what a God we have. He has remembered his covenant. He has remembered his grace, and so we will praise him. He's made us remember them, and we will do it from A to Z, from beginning to end. From verse 1 to verse 10, praise the Lord. His praise endures forever. See, that's where this psalm wants to bring us to, these bookends. Because the psalm's praise, which expresses our remembering, it, this is amazing, it doesn't end with that bookend at the end of Psalm 111. Here again, we see the creativity and the wisdom of our God, even in the arrangement of the psalms. You know what's interesting about the next psalm, Psalm 112? Guess what? It's also acrostic. Also goes through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And while Psalm 111 
describes the work of God our Father. Psalm 112 then describes the work of God's believing child. And it begins with the same words, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And Psalm 112 now pictures what the Spirit does in the life of God's children, producing works, works that by the power of the Spirit begin to reflect something of the character of God our Savior. And that's why Psalm 112 is describing what living in Christ-like love and mercy towards those around us looks like. You give proof that you remember God's mighty works when that affects your works. And when you live a godly life. And so Psalm 111 doesn't end with that note of praise. When we sing it with that last verse, no, it rolls into Psalm 112. It rolls into Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in our lives of service as God's children. And even then, it doesn't stop our remembering. No, it keeps on rolling on, rolling on. And if we get to the very end of the Psalter, we find a giant bookend because that hallelujah of Psalm 111 verse 1 gets an encore with Psalm 150. Psalm 150 is a grand hallelujah. It's a grand hallelujah chorus, a finale of praise, which is fitting in light of God's wondrous works. And that's congregation where the remembering of Psalm 111 needs to bring you and me to. To the hallelujah of Psalm 150. And even then it's not done. Because the volume of that hallelujah chorus gets cranked up even more when you get to the last book of the Bible. Revelation prophesies the return of Christ. As the mighty deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ come to a culmination and he returns and voices will cry saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, honor, power belong to the Lord our God. That's where we're traveling to. Today, our remembering of God's mighty deeds is at best imperfect. Thanks be to God that he brings us here again to make us remember him and what he has done. Thanks be to God that in his word he tells us the mighty deeds that lie ahead. And one day our Savior will come back. On that day we will never forget God's grace. And our praise too will be perfect and we will proclaim the mighty deeds of the Lord forever. Amen.